It is um, great to worship with you all, watching from different parts of our city, different parts of our country, different parts of the world. For those of you who are new to our worship gathering here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship here in Elmhurst, Queens, and it is a joy and delight to have you with us. Whether you're joining us on Facebook, whether you're joining us on YouTube, whether you're joining us over at newlife.nyc, our website, it is a delight to have you worship with us, to sing, to pray, to hear God's word proclaimed this morning. Now, before we go into our text today, I wanted to uh, let you know that next week we'll be sharing communion again uh, from our homes, much like we did on Easter Sunday. And our rhythm at New Life is to share communion the first Sunday of each month, and we're going to continue with that tradition. And so this week, if you go out for groceries or so, if you have time, uh, get some grape juice or wine, whatever it is, uh, some bread, and we'll feast together celebrating uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our homes next Sunday. We're starting a new series today uh, through the book of Philippians. And so I want to encourage you throughout the course of the week over the next few months to be reading the letter of uh, Philippians over and over again, getting as much out as we possibly can. And we've entitled this series, Choosing Joy in All Seasons. And it's an appropriate message, an appropriate series for the time that we're in. Uh, we are in a series, uh, season of suffering, a pandemic, lots of disruption and disorientation. And yet the joy of the Lord is our strength. And God is with us in these moments and wants to forge deep joy in our souls. And I want to tell you what we're going to look at today in the first two verses of the book of Philippians is this simple idea that the measure of your joy really is contingent and connected on how you see God. The measure of your joy is connected to your vision of God. And I think this is what Paul does in the first couple of verses in the book of Philippians. He tries to let us know who God is and what God does because this is a deep connection to the source of joy that we long to course through our hearts, our souls, and our, our veins. And so uh, we're going to look at two verses this morning from Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2, and you can follow along with me. And we're going to spend all of our time on these two very simple yet powerful verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy Servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear those words, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look to your word this morning, may you speak to us, give us revelation and illumination. And Lord, may we be people marked by your joy in no matter what season we find ourselves in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you are aware of a show on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Marie is a Japanese organizing consultant and author. 
And she helps people organize their lives, helping them to get rid of the clutter in their home. And she's known for asking a simple question to help people decide whether an article of clothing or whatever it is should stay or should go. Her simple question is this, does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? Now, what she would typically have is someone grab a number of clothing items and put it on a pile in her, your bed and one by one pick up the clothing item or whatever it is and ask, does it bring me joy? And if the answer is yes, you keep it. And if the answer is no, you discard it. You get rid of it. Now, I need to say from the onset that uh, I need to do this exercise because I could use some tidying up in my closet. I think I can get rid of some clutter, that my stuff that I need to get rid of. It's a good question. However, I need to say that although it's a good question for the sake of tidying up clutter and such, it's a very limited question and not a good philosophy for all of life. Because if we looked around determining whether something should stay or whether it should go based on the level of joy that it brings us, it can lead to some bad decisions. Some of you might be looking at your dog right now and saying, this dog does not bring me joy. I should get rid of it. Some of you are looking at your husband right now and saying, I don't know. He's not been giving me joy for a long time. I should get rid of this man or your kids or your job or whatever it is. It's a very limited way to discern and make decisions through life depending on whether something gives you life or joy or not. And what we have to do is reframe joy. Reframe joy from a Christian kingdom of God perspective. Because joy is often limited and reduced to good feelings. But I want to tell you that joy could not be and cannot be and should not be reduced to a good feeling. Joy is not walking around with a smile on your face all the time. How do I know? Because some of the people who have the least amount of joy are people who are always smiling. Joy doesn't mean that you always feel blessed and good about life. To be joyful doesn't mean that you can't also be angry or be sad. Joy is much deeper than an emotion. It includes an emotion for sure, but it does not, it's not to be driven by emotions. Moreover, joy is not to be dependent on circumstance or situations. Over the past uh, couple of weeks, I've been asking people about joy, their joy levels, and what would make them more joyful. And I received a lot of responses uh, from different people that was about circumstance, about situation. And people would say, I would feel more joyful if something happened. I'd be more joyful if I met someone. Or I'd be more joyful if I got a new job. Or I'd be more joyful if the pandemic was over. I'd be more joyful if sports was back. I think that was my response to my own question. I'd be more joyful if sports was back. But what's noteworthy about these responses is that it's circumstantial and situational. And that's not the nature of biblical joy. That's not the nature of Christian joy. Kingdom of God joy. Because Christian joy is deeper than a feeling. Joy flows from the life of God. And this is what Paul wants us to see in this letter. In direct ways and indirect ways, Paul lets us know about how to get joy. 
And the way we get joy, as we're going to see in the first two verses, is based on how we see God. You want great joy? Have the right vision of God. This is what Paul gets at in the first two verses. The letter to the Philippians is often known as Paul's letter of joy. He writes to a church that has supported him in his struggle. And in the first two verses, we already see how joy is a reality for Paul and how it can be a possibility for us. He focuses on verse 1 and 2 in some important ways. And I want to say we often skip verses 1 and 2 when we read Paul's letters. Much how we skip the genealogies and the gospels. We get to so-and-so begat this person and so-and-so begat that person. By the fourth begat, you're like, okay, it's time to turn the page to do something else. And that's what we do with Paul's letters as well. We're so accustomed to the way he starts a letter that we tend to skim it to move on to the more meatier stuff Paul has to say. But I want to tell you that what we have in verse 1 and 2 is meaty. What we have in verse 1 and 2 is powerful. What we have in verse 1 and 2, we need to hear. And so Paul begins in verse 1 by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, for some of you who are new to the Bible, Paul is a man who at one point wanted to kill joyful Christians. But he had an encounter with the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And because of this encounter with the risen Jesus, Paul went from killing joyful Christians to becoming a joyful Christian. But because of this joy and this preaching that came out of this new conversion that Paul experienced, it would land him in prison. And so when Paul writes these words throughout the book of Philippians, he's not writing from a resort and spa. He's not writing while he's getting a nice back massage. Paul is writing this from jail. He's writing this from prison in a dark, probably uh, rat-infested place. Paul writes about joy. And he says, Paul and Timothy, who am I? A servant of Christ Jesus. He lets his identity be known from the very beginning beginning, a servant of Christ Jesus. You want joy in your life? Become a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, people around him might have been saying, Paul, before you followed this Christ, you never ended up in jail. You never found yourself in prison. But now that you've said yes to following Christ, you have found yourself in prison. Why don't you give up this way of life? And Paul would say, no, 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 no. Why? Because the joy that God gives is different than the joy that the world gives. And Paul says, I want the kind of joy that Christ gives. Therefore, my fundamental identity is that I am a servant of Christ Jesus. That's the kind of joy I want. Stuck in jail but I'm a servant of Jesus. Stuck in your apartment, but I'm a servant of Jesus. This is what Paul gets at. This is the source of all true joy. And so he begins by giving his identity, who he is. He's with Timothy, his friend. And then he says, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Now, before you move on from this verse, I want to show you again something that's worth paying attention to. Because when Paul says, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, he's not just giving obvious information. 
He's letting the people of God know their primary location, no matter where they find themselves living. Your primary location is in Christ. Yes, you are in Philippi, but your primary location is in Christ. And God, that's God's word to all of us. No matter where you're at, don't forget who you're in. You are in Christ, although you're at Philippi. In Christ, although you're at Queens. In Christ, although you're in the Philippines. In Christ, no matter where you are, you are in Christ. Amen. And so he says to, to those who are in Philippi, then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to spend my rest of the message here focusing on those two words, grace and peace. Because if you want joy in your life, joy is connected to our vision and perspective of God. And Paul wants us to know what God is like. What is God like? What does God give? God gives grace and peace. And the measure of your joy is connected to your vision of God. Paul, in every letter he wrote, began with grace and peace. What if everything we did began with grace and peace? What if the first thing on our lips every morning is grace and peace? You roll over to see your spouse and the first words is not, oh, you again. No, 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 it's grace. And peace. You see your children in the morning, and it's another day of homeschooling, and you, your first words are not, ah, it's grace and peace. What if everything we did was marked by grace and peace? One thing I do know is that our world longs for grace and peace. Now, when Paul begins with grace and peace in his letter, he's not just going through a religious formality. He's trying to deeply form the people of God. And Paul wants those two words to be the first things that come to mind when we think about God. When God comes to mind, what do you think about? Grace and peace. It was A.W. Tozer, the famous author, who said it this way. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important Thing about us. I think he's on to something. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so Paul says, I want two words to come into your mind when you think about God, grace and peace. I want to focus on these two words for a moment. The first word he gives is grace. Now, in New Testament times, in customary letter writing, the person would begin with the word Karen, C-H-A-R-I-N. And that word translated means greetings, greetings to you. But Paul takes what was customary in ancient Greco-Roman world, and he changes one letter, and instead of Karen, it becomes charis, which is grace. He changes one letter. And by changing one letter, it changes the meaning to the people who's writing to. That's the power of one letter. I experienced that this past week. 
Someone sent me an email saying, how many people have registered for your workshop on prayer? And I responded, uh, 40 folks have registered so far. But instead of uh, folks, I was typing from my iPhone and it did the autocorrect. And instead of folks, it said fools. <laughs> it just changed one letter. 40 fools uh, signed up for my class. It's a different uh, reading, different meaning when you go from folks to fools. How many know what I'm talking about? Paul does the same thing. He changes one letter, but for the positive. He goes from greetings to grace. And it's powerful. Now this word grace, let me show you, let me show you what grace, what charis looks like. For This is what charis looks like, okay? And uh, that's my daughter, charis, with a K, not with a CH, with a K. That's what charis, I couldn't resist doing that. There. That's what charis looks like. But let me define what charis is for us. When Paul says charis, this is the range of meaning that he says. He means joy to you pleasure to you, delight to you, gratification to you, favor to you, acceptance to you, God's acceptance to you. Don't you want those words to describe your life? Those are words that I long to have my life described by as well. I need grace, joy, pleasure, delight, gratification, favor, acceptance. Joy is the free expression of the love of God. It's free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's free. It reminds me of a story I heard of these two pastors. There were these two pastors who were in Atlanta, Georgia for a large Christian men's gathering. And one of the pastors had never been to the South before. And after staying at a hotel overnight, they stopped off at a restaurant for breakfast. And when the meal was delivered, the pastor who had never been to the South before saw this white, mushy-looking stuff on his plate. And when the server came by, he said, excuse me, what is this? And the server said, oh, that's grits. And he said, ma'am, I didn't order it, and I'm not going to pay for it. And she responded by saying, sir, down here, you don't order it, and you don't pay for it. You just get it. And I love that. You don't order it, and you don't pay for it. You just get it. And that's not just with grits. That's with grace. You don't order it. You can't buy it. You just get it. It is free. It comes with it. God gives you grace. This is what Paul says. God has grace for you. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, God cannot help but give you grace. The question is, are you living in that grace? Is that grace marking your life? Are you receiving it and are you giving it? And so Paul, he begins by saying grace, but then he says peace to you as well. In Greek, it's really one word, but, but for the translation's sake, to give the, the breadth of the word, it's broken down into two words, grace and peace to you. And so first he gives grace, and then God gives peace. And the word peace, the Hebrew word for it is shalom. In Greek, it's irene, it's, it's peace. And the range of meaning for this word is harmony to you, wholeness to you, inner stillness to you, 
every kind of good to you. To be in relationship with God, God gives grace to you. And God gives peace to you. Peace is not the uh, absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of conflict. A presence that produces stillness even though everything around you is chaos. And Paul says to be in relationship with this God means that grace is coming your way and peace is coming your way as well. Now again, when Paul says grace and peace... He's not just going through a religious formality. He's letting the people of God know when you think about God, these are the first two words you should be thinking about, grace and peace. Because if we see God as God truly is, joy will flow in your soul. If you get the right vision of who God is in your life, the deep joy, abiding joy that only God can give and the world can't take away will flood your soul. And so Paul gives those words because he knows the human tendency. And the human tendency when it comes to God is not to think about God in terms of grace and peace. We have other visions and competing images of God. In 2005, Baylor University conducted a survey about America's ideas of God. Now in the United States, Studies show that somewhat of 90, 95% of people believe in God. The challenge is we don't believe the same thing about God. And so these researchers concluded that Americans have four basic ways of how we see God. Four competing visions and images of how we see God. And this is why we need the God of grace and peace. They concluded that there are four types of ways of seeing God. The first way is the authoritative God, who both judges and is closely engaged in the world. It's this God who's breathing over you, waiting for you to mess up. It's the authoritative God. Then there's the benevolent God, the one who is engaged but non-judgmental. This is God as the nice one. God is just nice. And so God's never going to say anything. Sure, there's all kinds of chaos and abuse going on in the world, but this is a benevolent, nice God. Then there's the the critical God who happens to be judgmental but disengaged. It's the God who's not around, but every time you mess up, the critical God. And then there's the distant God who is neither engaged nor judgmental and could care less about what humans worry about. Totally distant. Now, what they found in these studies is that it was often the case that people projected onto God one of these four images that they had of their parents. And so it was often the case that how you viewed your parents was how you viewed God. Here's the question for you this morning. Which one of these four has so uh, hijacked your understanding of God? Now, for some of us, we say, no, I believe in the God of grace and peace. And maybe you believe that in your mind. But when difficulty comes and failure comes, where does your soul go? Where does your heart go? To the authoritative God, the benevolent God, the critical God, the distant God. Paul says, no, no, no. This is what God gives. God is the God of grace and peace. But here's the challenge before us. God is the God of grace and peace. And yet most of our lives often 
is not identified by receiving and living grace and peace. How is it that grace and peace is always coming and yet it's something we're not receiving? I've often used this image uh, that helps me understand the, uh, the sadness of the state of our spiritual lives. Where imagine if you were locked in a supermarket and you still died of starvation. Could you imagine the, how sad that would be? Surrounded by everything you can eat and somehow you still die of starvation. And that's how many of us live as well. Surrounded by grace and peace. And yet we are spiritually starving. How is it that grace and peace can be yours? And yet you find yourself spiritually starving. I think there's a few reasons why this is the case. For some of us, we've so allowed shame and failure to so mark our lives that we don't believe we should receive any grace and peace. For some of you, you look at your failures, you feel your guilt, your shame, and you go, I don't deserve any kind of grace and peace when you look at what I have done. And consequently, we are spiritually starving. For others of us, it's not shame and guilt that keeps us from receiving grace and peace. For some of us, it's this notion that we don't need grace and peace. Our pride, our lack of brokenness. We think I'm a pretty good person. And so in the first way, we think we're too bad to receive grace and peace. And the second, we think we're too good to receive grace and peace. And so consequently, we spiritually starve. But moreover, not just... Uh, I'm too bad or I'm too good, we often spiritually starve and don't receive grace and peace because of legalism. We think we are to earn grace and peace. And so the religious kind of narrative is uh, I need to do first and then I will receive. I need to obey God first and then God will love me. That's the way we think about it. No wonder our lives are so up and down. And yet the gospel message is not this idea that I have to do first and then I'll receive. It's the notion that God has already given to me. It's already done in Christ. Out of which I obey. Out of which I love. Out of which I do. And so a legalism can creep up on you. Or it's just the pace of life that we're living. And the pace of life that we're living so robs us from the grace of God and the peace of God that longs to be ours, that God longs for us to have. And so how do we get to a place where we can receive the grace and peace that's already all around us? And the simplicity of it is actually very simple. It's, it's positioning ourselves to receive it. One of the things I loved about growing up in my home was my father took me to many baseball games. And whether it was a baseball game at the local park in the neighborhood or whether we were watching the Mets at Shea Stadium, my father would take me to many baseball games over the course of my childhood. And no matter what game we went to, my father would always tell me to bring a glove. Now, from time to time, I'd be very um, curious about this because sometimes we had the nosebleed seats. You know what I'm saying? We were way up there. And I just knew that ball is not coming close to me, okay? Uh, and so even if we got good seats, sometimes I'd go, I don't know. And then the ball will be hit and you think it's coming your way, but it's actually going to the 
total other side of the field. You know what I'm saying. And so I'd, I'd, be, I'd have my, my, my glove ready. But that was, that was instinctual in my mind. My father said, always be ready because a ball might come your way. Whether you're sitting high or sitting low, a ball might come your way. And so as a kid, I remember watching every pitch with the glove in my hand, just knowing the next one's going to come my way. The next one's going to come my way. And, and, and in the course of my life, I Actually, I caught two baseballs in the course of my uh, 40 years uh, of life, 41 years of life. I caught two baseballs. But, but the image that came to mind that my father uh, instilled in me was always be ready. Because at any point, a ball might come your way. And as I thought about growing up as a kid with a baseball glove in my hand, I thought about God as well. Because here's the difference. There is no cheap seats for people. There's no cheap seats up here. And good. wherever you're at, the grace of God will come your way. The grace of God will find you. No matter where you are sitting, God's grace will come to you. Whether you've been praying or not, or you haven't prayed in two months, God's grace will come to you. Whether you've memorized the Bible or you can't find your Bible. God's grace will come to you. Whether you've never been in church or you've been in church your entire life, God's grace will come to you. The question is not whether God's grace comes. The question is whether you are ready to receive it. And so when we gather together for prayer, we're essentially saying, Lord, put it right here. I'm ready to receive grace and peace. When we gather together to sing and we gather together for church services, we're saying, Lord, put it right here. I'm ready to receive grace and peace. When you open up your Bible, what are you doing? You're sitting down to open up your glove and say, Lord, put it right here. I'm ready to receive your grace and peace. And if you are ready to receive it, God's grace will come to you. It's, it's, it's always coming to you. The question is not whether it's coming. The question is not can you receive it? And that's the invitation Paul offers to us through Philippians. You want joy? Receive his grace. You want joy? Receive his peace. And so over and over, what is the spiritual life about? The spiritual life, the Christian spiritual life is about positioning ourselves to receive what's already and always coming our way. The grace of God is with you. The peace of God is with you. You might have seven people living in your apartment. The grace of God is with you. The peace of God is with you. You might be alone and wondering, I, I, I can't, there's no one with me. No, 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 the grace of God is with you. The peace of God is with you. The question is, can you receive it? When I think about the world we live in today, there's so many of us who need to receive grace and peace. Many of you watching need to receive grace and peace. For many of us parents, we're trying to figure out this homeschooling thing and do our jobs at the same time. And more often than not, you don't feel like you're doing it right and you've been hard on yourself, short-tempered, and you're wondering, I'm not going to do this thing right. No, no, no. Listen, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And often it means applying to myself the grace that God longs to give. You see, grace is not just about for everybody else. Grace is for me as well. And the person we need to be speaking grace over is often ourselves because we often can be so hard on ourselves. Many of you are watching and you're depressed. You're overwhelmed. You're looking at what life is like in a pandemic and every day seems to be the same thing over and over again and you're overwhelmed. And not only are you overwhelmed, now you have negative feelings about being overwhelmed. You say, I shouldn't be overwhelmed. I should be stronger than this. I shouldn't be so depressed. I should be stronger than this. And and next thing you know, over and over again, you're speaking negatively about yourself. But hear the word, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of us, like, like myself, I feel a sense of guilt because I see what's going on in our world and I think, I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more than I'm already doing. And yes, by the end of the night, I'm already exhausted. And I can't think about doing one more thing with my life. But often I think I I need to do more and I feel guilt. And and God's word to me and God's word to you, for some of you who feel this, is grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For many of us, we don't know how in the world we are going to get by. Hear the word, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to end with this. When Paul talks about grace and peace, he's not just talking about generic grace and peace. He's talking about a very specific grace and peace. Not a grace and peace from general religion. Not a grace and peace from positive thinking. A grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a grace that's been purchased. A peace that's been purchased. What was the cost? It it, it cost Jesus his life. Grace and peace. Just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Good Friday and Easter. And it was through the self-giving love of God that grace and peace comes. Grace and peace, not just generically, but specifically from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's Paul's invitation. You want grace? I'm talking about real grace, deep grace. You want peace? I'm talking about real peace. Say yes to God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of you, you've never said yes. Maybe you've been watching our live streams. Maybe you've been hanging around, but... Today's a day to say, yes, I want that kind of grace and peace. And you cannot live in the fullness of grace and peace until you have said yes to Christ. And when you say yes to Christ, his spirit lives within you. The fullness of grace and peace lives within you. And it's not just for those who have never said yes to Christ. That's the invitation today. It's for all those who have already said yes to him, but just need some more grace and peace. To live it in the fullness of that word in the particular context we find ourselves in. Grace and peace. I want to say, we're not just here to receive it. We're also here to give it. 
And the grace that we receive is to be given. And Christians are to be known as people of grace and peace. And so today, I hope that you receive it in your soul. And then tomorrow or later today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to offer it to your neighbor, to your spouse, to your child, to a coworker, grace and peace. Let's pray together. Lord, when we think about you, we often have competing images and ideas about who you are. But today, help us to know that you are the God of grace and peace and that our sense of joy is connected to how we see you. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for these first two verses. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who opens our hearts and minds. And may we be people marked by deep joy in a world of deep disorientation. May we be people marked by joy because of this grace and peace. I pray for those watching right now who've never said yes to Christ. May we open our souls to you. A simple prayer like, Lord, I want your grace and peace. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow Jesus. Transform me. Create in me a new heart. And if that's a prayer that you prayed, God hears you and longs to transform you with grace and peace. And if that's a prayer that you prayed today, we'd love to hear about it and we'd love to follow up with you. And on our website and in our feed, you can... If you make a decision for Christ, there's a way for, to let us know. And we want to help you on your journey. Lord, thank you for the gift of this day, the gift of your grace and peace. May we receive it and may we give it. Amen. As we close, we close every gathering with a blessing. Before I do that, I wanted to remind you that at the end of this service, we have our virtual lobby. We'll have our pastors just waiting to meet you and greet you and chat with you. And so whether it's two minutes or 10 minutes, feel free to stop in there. You can look at our, the Zoom link on our Facebook page or on our newlife.nyc page. And there's a link also to receive prayer. For some of you, life has been hard. Listen, it's been hard for all of us. And sometimes we just need someone to pray for us. And we have our prayer team just waiting for you to speak words of grace and peace over your life. And so feel free to go to, it's a separate link. It says prayer. Click on that and let us pray for you. As we close, I want to invite you wherever you're at to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And we close every gathering with blessing. Because we cannot give what we have not received. And if we are people to be, be marked by grace and peace for the world, we need to first receive it ourselves. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you step away from this online worship gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit receiving grace and peace 
and offering grace and peace to the world around you. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all. See you next week.